0: Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On our program tonight, the Prime Minister faces a continuing barrage of questions about Canada's COVID vaccine plan. On a day when Great Britain becomes the first country to approve a vaccine and will begin giving the shots in a matter of days. We'll get the latest from London and MPs will debate Canada's vaccine preparations. And the federal government acknowledges it will not meet its target to lift long-term boil water advisories in First Nations. I'll speak with the Minister of Indigenous Services about that broken promise and the new plan. But we'll begin tonight with the latest news on the push for a COVID-19 vaccine in Canada and more questions for the Trudeau government after Great Britain announced today it has approved the Pfizer vaccine for emergency use and will begin administering it to the population in Britain next week. This is
1: uh, unquestionably good
0: news. It's very, very
1: good news. But it is by no means the end of the story. It is not the end of our national uh, struggle against, uh, against coronavirus.
0: Well, the out of the UK only amplified the criticism in this country over the Liberal government's efforts to acquire and distribute the vaccine.
2: Quote, what China did is they got what they needed from Canada and they stopped the vaccine shipment. This neutralizes the ability for Canada to participate in developing the vaccine. End quote. This is the assessment of a leading intelligence expert on how the Liberal government got played by China. Why did this government bet our nation's health, our economy, on a partnership that it was told was
3: against our national security (laughs) interests? The Right Honourable Prime Minister. Once again, the Conservative Party is just making things up. We actually secured the broadest range of vaccine potentials. We knocked on every door to make sure that Canadians would maximize their chances of getting an effective vaccine when they came through. Yes, when CanSino uh, withdrew, uh, we went from potentially eight deals with vaccine makers to seven deals with vaccine makers. But those seven deals that we have cover the best portfolio Of any country in the world and more doses per per citizen than just about any other country. That's the leadership we've shown. That's how we have Canadians' backs.
4: There will be three ways of vaccinating people. Hospitals, vaccination centres, and in the community with GPs and pharmacists. Around 50 hospitals are on standby and vaccination centres in venues such as conference centres or sports stadiums are being set up now. This is with regard to a vaccine that's being, a COVID vaccine that's being released to the public tomorrow. I wish we could say that here in Canada. Instead we have to congratulate our friends in the United Kingdom for getting their act together. So the question is this, when will the Prime Minister give that exact same information to Canadians?
0: The Right Honourable Prime Minister.
3: Mr. Speaker, every step of the way, we have relied on experts and scientists to give us uh, recommendations on how to move forward on a rollout of vaccines right across the country. We've worked closely with the provinces and territories, and we will continue We put uh, the Canadian Armed Forces Major General, Danny Fortin in charge of the logistics of rolling out and coordinating with uh, the provinces and territories on vaccines. Right now, as we speak, Health Canada is looking at four different vaccine candidates. Uh, candidates that are leading around the world and that we have signed for tens of millions of doses for. Canadians will be covered on vaccines.
0: So it has been another day of the federal government on the defensive over its vaccine plan. The federal health minister did tweet today that Health Canada's review of the Pfizer vaccine should be completed soon. Let's bring in three members of Parliament to discuss the latest developments on all of this. Adam Vancouverton is an Ontario Liberal MP and the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Diversity. John Barlow is an Alberta Conservative MP and member of the Commons Health Committee. Don Davies is a British Columbia MP and the health critic for the NDP, also a member of that Health Committee. Good to see you all, gentlemen. Thanks for being here. Uh, nice to see you too. Mr. Vancouver, let me start with you. Now that Great Britain has approved the Pfizer vaccine for use in that country, British residents uh, will start getting it as early as some people are saying in a matter of days now. What additional pressure does that put, if any, on Canada to approve this vaccine?
2: I don't think it's a matter of pressure so much as it's a good news story because, uh, you know, a quick uh, approval time turnaround uh, from Great Britain means that it's, uh, we're, we're likely to see the same thing here in Canada. Things like this take time. It's very important to make sure. Uh, This is a safe vaccine and an effective vaccine, and it's the right one for Canadians. And this is a really good news story that uh, that Pfizer's been approved in the UK um, because we've been working very closely with both Pfizer and the UK and the NHS is, like Canada's health care system, a world-class health care provider. So it's a very, very positive step forward, and I'm very optimistic that our approvals will be done quickly mm-hmm. as well.
0: Mr. Barlow, Health Canada issued a statement today as well, saying it's doing its own review of the Pfizer vaccine, should be completed soon, is the way it's framed. Uh, does your party support that position that Canada needs to do its own review, no matter how long it takes, uh, but it sounds like it's coming quickly.
5: I, I think there can be it can be some harmonization of regulations uh, when it comes uh, to uh, the vaccine. Uh, I think uh, every Canadian is on the edge of their seat, uh, wondering when these vaccine are uh, vaccines are going to be available. And we've just heard too much of of soon. You know, be patient. It'll be here. Uh, too much missed too many mixed messages from the government, and, and Canadians okay, are starting well, hang to get Hang on, ant- Sorry, are you,
0: are you saying Health Canada should just borrow that information that that uh, that review information from Great Britain and, uh, and essentially rubber stamp it here?
5: No, I don't think they should rubber stamp it, but I think there is some harmonization, in some of the regulations that have done that, you know, a country like the United Kingdom, as Adam said, uh, has a... Uh, very strong healthcare system. And I think there are some things that we do not have to reinvent the wheel, so to speak, that there may be some ways to expedite the approval process uh, here in Canada to ensure that those vaccines are available as soon as possible. But at the same time, obviously, you want to ensure um, the safety of of Canadians.
0: Don Davies, what's your view? Should anything change here in the approvals timeline in Canada because the British have now approved the vaccine for emergency use?
4: No, I think Canada has to do our own evaluation. That's the way we handle all drugs. I mean, whether something's approved in the States by the FDA or by Britain uh, doesn't change the fact that Health Canada has its own uh, responsibility to Canadians to do its own review. I, I do think there are some, some other points though, that, that could be made. One is that in the U.S., they, uh, Canadians may have seen a plain land last week with vaccine from Pfizer on U.S. soil, even though they have not received FDA approval. And uh, Canadian law does allow that. We could be receiving Pfizer vaccine on Canadian soil, pending Health Canada approval. And to me, it's smart policy to do that because the the quicker we can get the logistics arranged so the vaccine is here and ready once, if and once it is approved, uh, get vaccinations out for Canadians, which is what everybody's waiting for.
0: Although we know this particular vaccine uh, needs to be stored at minus 70 degrees. And so to to stockpile it in Canada, uh, it doesn't appear that we're ready to do that now, are we?
4: Well, we have to do that sooner or later. I mean, the government talks about uh, starting the, the Pfizer vaccinations in January. We have to have the freezer capacity. That's, you know. And it says it's, a, it's, it's like got a bunch of the freezers now and
0: it's still waiting on more of them, but I'm not sure how much could be stockpiled. Yeah. Uh, what, is that, does that seem like an idea, Mr. Van, Vancouver? And even before the approvals, stockpile it and whatever freezers we have now try to get it in and be ready for when uh, on the assumption that Health Canada will follow the British lead and approve this vaccine.
2: Well, like my colleagues, uh, Mr. Barlow and Mr. Davies, I am not a doctor or a health expert. I'm a politician. So I will leave uh, the decision making up to health experts and regulators, the people who have done such an extraordinary job uh, for the last uh, nine months, but have always done a great job making sure that vaccines are available to Canadians. Because as we know, this is nothing new. There's a new vaccine for the flu every year. This is not the flu. I'm not drawing a comparison. But vaccines are available, and we do a good job in Canada with the provinces, vaccinating about 19 million Canadians every year for the, with the flu vaccine. Again, not drawing a comparison between... Covid-19 and the flu, as other people have. I'm just stating that the, the vaccinating Canadians is something that okay. uh, that Health Canada does extraordinarily well in partnership with our Mr. provinces, and I have the utmost confidence in our health officials to make those decisions.
0: Mr. Barlow, one thing we do know about Britain is they have a plan in place to distribute and administer this vaccine. Uh, the Prime Minister talked about it there today. Uh, they had a plan in place, to the, com- communicated rather to their citizens even before the vaccine. Uh, was approved and and will arrive they know how it'll be distributed and who will get it um, do we have those answers in this country yet
5: no, we don't, and and with all due respect to to my colleague, uh, Mr. Vancouver, and um, this isn't like any other vaccine. The Pfizer vaccine is is very unique. It takes uh, very specialized storage and uh, transportation requirements. Um, the United States also has Operation Warp Speed. Uh, they've announced they you know have a, a, a logistics strategy to get the uh, vaccine out and distributed to its citizens. Uh, we have nothing. Like that, and we've asked uh, multiple times to the government how many fridges do we have? Who's being? Who's building them? Where are they going to be located? How is the vaccine going to be distributed? Who's going to be distributed? Who's going to get the vaccine first? We have none of these answers. And I think that would go a long ways to addressing the anxiety and the mental health stress that Canadians are under right now.
0: Mr. Davies, uh, uh, in in part, the answer from uh, government officials that, look, uh, vaccine delivery in in Canada, uh, it's, it's complicated. A role that's complicated because there's a range of vaccines with different requirements for storage and distribution. We need the participation of the province. It's a more centralized health system in Britain, for example. So it's a more complicated challenge in Canada uh, than in Britain, for instance. Do you accept that as a reason for the time it's taking uh, to put this detailed plan in place and get it out to Canadians?
4: Well, of course not. I mean, you've got countries as varied as the UK uh, and the United States, who doesn't have a national health care system at at all, and Australia. All three of those countries are much further ahead than we are. Uh, Now, Canadians... Uh, only care about one thing. They want to start knowing when they can start looking forward to getting these vaccinations. And I think, uh, I think they're entitled to some specifics at this point. It's December 2nd. Uh, this government has been saying over and over again that they expect to start vaccinations in as early as January. Again, that's, that's, that's weeks away from now. I think it's time that the government gave specifics to Canadians. Uh, on a different point, I wanted to say that uh, our leader Jagmeet Singh today came up with, I think, a really important policy Initiative, and that is to you want you want Canada to get
0: to get back to manufacturing vaccines.
4: Yeah, and I think that's important because although it's not going to be done in time, you know, to get produce vaccines, say in the next 12 months, the COVID uh, pandemic has revealed a serious deficiency in Canadian vaccine and medication production, and I think it's something that all parties should join together with Mr. Singh and get to work on creating a Crown Corp so that we can have you know domestic self sufficiency. Australia is producing 30 million doses. Of the AstraZeneca vaccine, So the U.S. is, the U.K. is, Belgium is. So I think it's a big, it's a big flaw that Canada is not in this position because we really are at the mercy of okay. a multinational pharmaceutical I,
0: company. Mr. Mr., Mr. It, Mr. Van, Mr. Vancouver, let me go. Let me go back if I can here to the to the issue of uh, of a plan and what well, Canadians. Well, if I could, I'd like, well, hang I'd like on. To let me what ask what my colleague. Okay, let me ask a question, and uh, you can weave an answer into it. And we'll we'll take it from there. Uh, like one of the government's answers this week has been like we don't have a date yet, so it's hard to know exactly what plan or what vaccine we might be getting. But uh, let's forget the date. Why why would the plan wait for a date? Why don't we know what'll happen no matter what date the vaccine gets here? So. The day after the vaccine gets here, it gets stored here. Then on day three, it gets transported in trucks or airplanes to different provinces. Uh, wouldn't we know that already, no matter what date it gets here? Like if you buy a car and want to take a trip across Canada, you set the trip. It doesn't matter what day the car arrives. Once the car arrives, you head out on the trip.
2: I think that buying a car is different than procuring vaccines from I'm not... seven different companies. Uh, but I, I would like to uh, correct my colleagues I've just on a couple of points. One, the number of freezers uh, are, are, are available to Mr. Barlow. If he's wondering how many freezers we've procured, we have those numbers. More than 40 Health freezers announced by PHAC. She absolutely has, in fact, Mr. Barlow. Okay, it's it just didn't. you're being quite selective with respect hang on, to which in fairness, information are willing we, to rely on. We, we, heard, we heard these
0: numbers. Hang on, Mr. Vancouver, and we heard these numbers at the news conference yesterday. They were revealed by Minister Nan. Here's how the, many yes, freezers were, we have so far, so far, and here's how many more. These numbers coming. have
2: been. These numbers have been. We've been forthcoming with the numbers with respect to the freezers, and the international media has been leaning on uh, Canada's response and, and and referring to Canada's response as the gold standard globally. Um, so I, I refuse but what the, we've talked about the notion. Here, what we're talking I, I ref- about here. What we're talking about here today is
0: is answers to questions about whatever time the vaccine gets here what is the plan for the day after it drops in Canada how are we getting it to Canadians who will get vaccinated when do we get those answers
2: well those answers uh, are forthcoming and they require us to first work through the Health Canada regulations and and you know uh, approve this vaccine and these vaccines there are a number of vaccines and uh, we well, don't know I, but, which one. The, 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 the rollout system will be a lot different if you it has mean, to be but... stored at room temperature at minus 80, right? But we were prepared for all of these scenarios. All okay. of the outcomes were more than prepared. And international media has been very, very forthcoming with that mm-hmm. notion, uh, both from Nature and other like very well-regarded right. yeah. uh, publications have all been saying that Canada's reaction and Canada's Gentlemen, we're, vaccine we're, procurement we're, we're, has been bold.
0: Time, time, time is tight for tonight. I, I'm going to have to cut it off there. But thank you all for your uh, participation. Uh, we'll continue to look for answers and uh, we'll continue to see uh, the vaccine story unroll in this country. But uh, thank you all for your time tonight. Appreciate it. Thank you,
2: Peter. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Take care.
0: Well, let's take a closer look at the vaccine announcement in Great Britain today. Paul Waldy is the Europe correspondent for The Globe and Mail, and he joins me from just outside London this evening. Uh, Paul Waldy, first of all, thanks for joining me. It's good to talk to you. Sure. Uh, look, a lot of people in this country want to know how the UK approval system managed to green light this vaccine so quickly, while Health Canada in this country is still reviewing the same data the British have reviewed. What, what can you tell us about the British process?
6: Well, the process here was faster than normal, and earlier today during a press conference, the MHRA, which is the drug regulator, was at pains to say that the fast process didn't mean safety had been put at risk or compromised. What they did was a rolling review system. So they were actually analyzing data from Pfizer and BioNTech as its trials were going on. So one trial could carry on, uh, one trial could finish and another one could start almost at the same time. So it was a much faster review process. So they have been coming under a little bit of fire for this, the speed of this whole process, but they are insisting that no corners were cut and nothing was done that wasn't, you know, that would compromise right. safety.
0: I mean, that, that's the same process that's underway at Health Canada. They're, they're getting this data in, in real time uh, as uh, other countries are getting it as well to be able to review it. So, I mean, how many doses will Great Britain receive and, and how quickly will people in Great Britain get this vaccine? Has that been decided?
6: Yes, Britain's ordered 40 million doses. So, this is a two dose vaccine. So, that's 20 million people. The first 800,000 doses are expected to arrive here from Pfizer's plant in Belgium as early as this weekend. The government hopes to start inoculating healthcare workers, hospital staff in particular, as early as Tuesday and then roll it out to the larger population, starting with care homes and then elderly people. So they're hoping to get this done over the next many months, but they're going to start in hospitals first.
0: All right. So Great Britain is uh, clearly a couple of steps ahead of Canada here. In in this country, the vaccine debate's been very polarizing. And this news out of the UK only amplifies allegations that the Canadian government has been slow to get the vaccines and approve the vaccines. What's the vaccine debate been like in Great Britain?
6: Well, the debate hasn't been so much about the vaccine here, because keep in mind, there is a vaccine, sort of a national program underway through Oxford University. Oxford has partnered with AstraZeneca. So the government is actually putting a lot more faith in that vaccine than it is in the Pfizer one or the Moderna one. In fact, that vaccine, the Oxford one, can be produced uh, much more quickly. Uh, at a lower cost and it's easier to transport than the Moderna or Pfizer one, which require these super cold refrigeration processes. So the government is banking a lot on the AstraZeneca Oxford uh, vaccine. The debate here has been more around lockdown measures, social movement restrictions. Uh, England has just come out of a lockdown, the second lockdown, today, in fact, and we're going back into a tiered system that's going to be tougher than the tiered system before the lockdown. And Boris Johnson has come under a lot of criticism from his own backbenchers about that. that the new tiered system. In fact, last night, when the government put the new measures to a vote, 56 Conservative MPs voted against it. The opposition abstained, but had they not abstained and voted with the rebels, it would have been enough to scupper the plan. So Boris is facing quite a revolt within his own caucus and some agitation across the country that this that England and the rest of the UK are still in some pretty tight restrictions.
0: Yeah. So so what sort of have, how is this being viewed then as that conversation continues and sort of lockdowns begin to be is this viewed as sort of the magic bullet that it's all OK now in Great Britain?
6: Well, I think that's part of the concern on the government's part. Yes, they're happy that maybe this has deflected attention away from the controversy over the lockdown measures and the tiered system. However, Boris Johnson was quick to say, yes, okay, the vaccine is coming, but it is going to take many, many months and we can't let up on the restrictions. So he's trying to play both sides here, being very congratulatory and very pleased with the fact that the vaccine has been approved, but also trying to insist that we can't let up, the
0: the country can't let up, on the restrictions as well. The Pfizer vaccine requires uh, you know, this ultra cold storage and Canada's preparing for that. And it uh, presents some distribution challenges as well in a country, look, 40 times larger than Great Britain and with a decentralized healthcare system such as we have in this country. But did the British have a plan in place well in advance for storage and distribution? And, and has it been well communicated? That's the big conversation in this country. Mm. No matter what date we get the vaccine, what is the plan to roll it out across the country? Was, was that, did the Brits have a, a good plan in place even before they, they knew the vaccine was coming? They've
6: actually been working on a plan for quite a while, in fairness to the government, mainly because the AstraZeneca and Oxford vaccine has been such a big priority for the government here. They've been talking a lot about a rollout program. They want to start with hospitals because they can handle the refrigeration process, then move to care homes, then move to different age groups. They've been very specific about which age groups and how, using sports stadiums, doctor's offices, kind of the way the flu vaccine is handled right now at present. So, However, as you mentioned, there are logistical issues with this Pfizer vaccine. It does have to be stored initially in very cold temperatures. It can only be kept in a normal refrigerator for about five days. And if you take it out of that refrigerator, it's gonna have to be used within six hours. So if you're trying to move it around, it's very tricky. It doesn't have a long shelf life outside of refrigeration. So it is a little more complicated to use, that's one reason why the government is banking more on the Oxford vaccine, because it can be stored in the refrigerator all the time. It doesn't require super cold temperatures.
0: Right. But is the overall sense there that that uh, the British government had planned for this day and this moment and that it's ready to roll this out to people or that it's been caught off guard and not prepared?
6: Well, I, I mean, I think, yes, they've been prepared on paper. But this government has, has a history of preparing on paper and then... When it comes to implementing it uh not going so well so i would say uh, i'd be cautious about saying how well this is going to work in terms of a rollout but yes they have been prepared and and they do have uh, as you mentioned it's a national system here more or less uh, the nhs right. england uh, is the largest obviously there's one in scotland wales and northern ireland as well however given the size of england and that it is one national health service they do have an advantage in that respect over canada because it is centralized. They do have regions. They can go with these hospital hubs that they're talking about. So on paper, it should be a fairly straightforward rollout, but we'll wait and see how it actually works in practice.
0: All right. Uh, Globe and Mail's Paul Waldy. Paul, always good to talk to you. Thanks for your time tonight. Okay. A signature promise of the Liberal government has been broken. The uh, Prime Minister, you'll recall, in 2015, Justin Trudeau promised to end the long-term boil water advisories in First Nations communities by March of 2021. Today, the Minister of Indigenous Services announced that won't happen. Monday's fiscal update promised another $1.5 billion to fulfill the pledge on top of the $2.2 billion. The Liberal government's already set aside over the past five years to try and fix this problem. Let's bring in Canada's Minister of Indigenous Services, Mark Miller. Mr. Minister, good to see you again. Thanks for being here. Hi, nice
1: to see you
0: here. This was one of the most significant promises from the Prime Minister. Um, How come the promise won't be met?
1: Well, look, I think the scenes that your viewers saw in an introduction are, are unacceptable for any country, uh, in particular Canada, which we fancy as, as the best country in the world. Uh, I certainly believe it is, but these are regular occurrences and lived experience on a daily basis for far too many communities in, in Canada, Indigenous in particular. There's a lot of communities on water advisories, but uh, far too many of them are Indigenous. and We committed in 2015 to lifting them by March 2021. There have been a a series of, uh, of challenges including COVID but not limited to COVID mm-hmm. um, and also the partnership that we've that we've, uh, that we've realized with Indigenous communities as, as they have uh, worked with us to establish their priorities and their timelines and what I've heard uh, resoundingly as we navigate obviously a global pandemic but also some real infrastructure challenges um, challenges with winter roads uh, increasing costs during COVID, obviously, is the real need for a partnership at long-term and not uh, a deadline that was imposed by Ottawa. And you know, While we will be at a, at a handful of communities by spring 2021 if things go well, um, what we're saying to communities today, and the investment reflects it, is that we are with them for the long-term, and that's what they've been asking.
0: Was the Prime Minister wrong to set that deadline?
1: Look, what the, the deadline that the Prime Minister set in, in, in 2015 was one that every Canadian expected Person in that position of leadership to say, which is that we will lift these 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 these, um, these long-term water advisories. And indeed, uh, while it was an ambitious deadline, uh, we've encountered some challenges along the way, including increasing the number of systems that are eligible for our support by 250 in 2018. Uh, now, we were uh, we were optimistic with that challenge deadline um, until COVID hit, and then um, I didn't want to be in a position with my team to entirely blame things on COVID when we wanted to give Canadians. A full, um, a, a, a truthful rendition of what was going on. Right. So we wanted to take the time to look and see how COVID was impacting.
0: But you, DC but you, 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 also acknowledged today in the news conference you had that uh, that not all of the communities had been consulted before the deadline was set in 2015. Uh, why would you do that? Why would you set a deadline saying, "Yeah, sure, we can do this" when a, a bunch of communities weren't even talked to about whether that was realistic or not?
1: Well, I, I, I think Peter, knowing that. There are, over, uh, there are hundreds of communities uh, in Canada that during the middle of an election, uh, we thought we could realize these things, and indeed we put the, the, in the resources and financial backing of Canada to bear. Uh, but certainly as we moved along that, that, that path with Indigenous communities over the last five years, we've seen challenges uh, that we've met. Um, but uh, clearly when, when you look at what communities need and you have to walk that path with them, uh, they wanted a long-term commitment. They said, "This is your, and said, this is your deadline." We never wanted to be in this situation in the first place. Uh, some communities uh, have been on long-term water advisories for a quarter of a century. So, indeed, the entire lifetime, uh, uh, particularly of of the of, of the youth, uh, not mm-hmm. having access to clean water. So, this is something that we need to be doggedly uh, resolute in 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 tackling. And the amounts that were announced during the fiscal update on uh, 36 hours ago were, uh, were ones that reflect the seriousness of this government okay. in working with communities to lift those
0: in the long term. Okay, so there, So as, as I understand it now, there's no new deadline to end the remaining advisories. On you, you say it'll be a dozen or so by March. Uh, but I'm still, I mean, the Prime Minister imposed a deadline to try and force this to get fixed. So how does no deadline encourage you to make sure that it happens as quickly as possible?
1: Well, Peter, we're bringing all resources to bear to ensure, one, uh, that composing with COVID that communities have the support to ensure that those key essential service infrastructure projects uh, can have all the supports of Canada to to, to meet that deadline. Uh, The position I want to be in in spring of 2021 is down to a handful of communities that uh, we will be able to give, if the communities permit, uh, detailed timelines as to when we expect that boiled water advisory Uh, to be lifted. What we need to understand behind this is are are people and crews uh, and communities that are working really hard to lift, um, in some cases, these advisories that have been uh, along for for decades. And that is something that we'll continue to do. Uh, Ideally, I would like to be in a position where I could could give to Canadians in the spring uh, an expected lift date. But again, there's a lot of things that need to fall into place over the course of the next few months, including, I believe, the lifting of about another 20 by the end of December, so that we can can get into the spring with with really just a handful of of, of unique circumstances that we will uh, we will tackle in partnership.
0: With very the very very quickly, you talked today about uh, that you know it was it was a, an Ottawa imposed timetable and an Ottawa imposed deadline that not all First Nations end up ended up agreeing with that timetable that and, and not all of them want have lifted uh, the boil water advisories or wanted them lifted. Uh, ex- explain why they wouldn't want the Boiled Water Advisory lifted if they could get it lifted.
1: Well, I, w- I would say that the vast majority of communities that uh, take great pride in, in lifting those Boiled Water Advisories. Uh, there, there are some that uh, that have said to us, you know, what, what happens once we lift it? Do you just disappear? Um, where's the partnership to supporting the operations and the maintenance of these, of these state-of-the-art facilities? Uh, knowing that uh, their operators perhaps get paid less than non-Indigenous communities and 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 so the risk of these things falling back into short and then long-term advisories is, is very significant and also there have been some connected infrastructure projects that uh, communities want to see as as prioritized and uh, this investment gives us the opportunity gives Canada the opportunity to provide the financial backing to these communities so that they in turn can can, can work really hard and do all the work they need to, to lift those advisories again as we get down to really the short strokes um, cases in communities are, each community is is unique, but each has its way of working with us and and ensuring that these advisories are lifted.
0: All right. Uh, Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller, thanks for your time today. Uh, Good to speak with you. Thank you, Peter. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics from all of us here at CPAC. Thanks for watching. See you next time.